Hi guys, this is Fiona from IELTS Exam Training Courses and Members Academy. I hope you're all keeping well in these really tough times and I hope you're managing to stay safe and work hard even when the going gets tough. Today I'm going to help you a little bit with some IELTS listening. I try to alternate reading and listening so I'm going to do a section three and it's all about cities built by the sea. So it's a really useful topic for IELTS. You'll see as we go through it the amount of vocabulary that is related to this topic. But also um, section three is where you get all of these signals and signposts, I call them. And I have a full YouTube video all about that and you'll be able to hear some of those signal and signposts in this lesson because it's two people as always in section three. Here it's two students discussing their project and the first set of questions, the five questions in the first half are all multiple choice. In the listening multiple choice, there are only three, but unlike the reading, there's usually a mention of each one, which makes it a little bit more difficult than the reading. In the reading, you can usually discount two out of four and you're left with two. But in the listening, you're kind of deciding between three, which are all quite close. And I'm going to show you how to help yourself do that today. So the two students' names are Carla and Rob. And the first question says that Carla and Rob were surprised to learn that coastal cities, A, contain nearly half the world's population, B, include most of the world's largest cities, and C, are growing twice as fast as other cities. So you can see that there are quantities involved. And the first one in A is about half of the world's population. B is most of the world's largest cities. And C, there's this kind of comparison. They're growing twice as fast as other cities. So what you're listening for is what they were surprised to learn. So remember, they always start with a bit of background so you can relax. But there will be tricks hidden in there, and I'll show you. So the tutor says, OK, so what I'd like you to do now is to talk to your partner about your presentations on urban planning. You should have done most of the reading now, so I'd like you to share your ideas and talk about the structure of your presentation and what you need to do next. So that's the background. Carla says, OK, Rob, I'm glad we chose quite a specific topic, cities built next to the sea. It made it much easier to find relevant information. Rob says, yeah, and cities are growing so quickly. I mean, we know that more than half the world's population lives in cities now. Carla, yes, though that's all cities, not just ones on the coast. But most of the biggest cities are actually built by the sea. I'd not realised that before. Rob says, nor me. And what's more, a lot of them are built at places where rivers come out into the sea. But apparently this can be a problem. OK, that's leading into the next question. But let's look at each one. The first thing Rob said was cities are growing so quickly. So you, you look at the choice C, they are growing twice as fast as other cities. Well, he doesn't say that. He just says they're growing quickly. Then he says more than half the world's population lives in cities. Now, here's the trick. More than half the world's population lives in cities. That's not the same as 
A, which says that coastal cities contain nearly half the world's population. That's not the same, although they sound so similar, especially if you're stressed. But Carla helps us out here because she says, ah, but most of the biggest cities are actually built by the sea. I'd not realised that before. So remember, you're looking for something that they were surprised to learn. And when she says, I, I hadn't realised that before, it's referring to most of the biggest cities are built by the sea. So this gives us answer B, include most of the world's largest cities. So the full sentence, surprised to learn that coastal cities include most of the world's largest cities. And you've got the synonym there of largest and she says most of the biggest cities are built by the sea. Now, at the end of that, Rob introduced a problem, and, and that is, he says, a lot of them are built at places where rivers come out into the sea, and this can be a problem. Carla asks him, why? Well, here's our next three options. According to Rob, building coastal cities near to rivers, A, may bring pollution to the cities, B, may reduce the land available for agriculture. Or C, may mean the countryside is spoiled by industry. Now again, we've got mention of all these three. So I'm going to read the full thing and you decide what you think is the answer. Rob says, as the city expands, agriculture and industry tend to spread further inland along the rivers. And so agriculture moves even further inland up the river. That's not necessarily a problem, except it means more and more pollutants are discharged into the rivers. So these are brought downstream to the cities. Okay, so the first option was that they may bring pollution to the cities. And that's your answer. It's the synonym for pollution is pollutants. You'll find that on my vocabulary lists. If you know in the 28-day planner, pollutant, pollution, it's one of the first words that we learn in my course. And why? Because it's so important. Pollutants are discharged into the rivers. When we do the water topic, discharged is another key word. And you can see them using it here. It gives you the answer A. Um, it, it brings the pollution into the rivers. And Carla then says, so these are brought downstream to the cities. And Rob says, right. And that's it. It actually brings the pollution to the cities. Now, the trick was B. B says it may reduce the land available for agriculture. You could guess this, but it doesn't say that. It says agriculture moves further inland up the river as the cities spread. But he says that's not necessarily a problem. So it's not B. And then you might think, well, C says may mean the countryside is spoiled by industry. That's what I chose, first of all, I have to admit. The countryside is spoiled by industry. I, I guessed it, but I was wrong. It's not about the countryside being spoiled. It's not even about the rivers really being spoiled. He says it's just about the pollutants coming downstream to the cities. And that's the answer. 22 is A. 23 says, what mistake was made when building water drainage channels in Miami in the 1950s? Now, I knew the answer for, for this just from doing another IELTS reading. It's a really fascinating reading in Focus on IELTS. Maybe the first chapter, I think, is really fantastic for vocabulary. And it tells this story 
about the water drainage channels in Miami and how they were built in the 1950s. So what are the problems? Well, there's three choices. A, there were not enough of them. B, they were made of unsuitable materials. Or C, they did not allow for the effects of climate change. Now, I think you could probably guess that because they were built in the 1950s and we all know what's happened with water levels since then because of climate change. So what Rob says is, did you read that article about Miami on the east coast of the USA? Apparently, back in the 1950s, they built channels to drain away the water in case of flooding. They spent quite a lot of money on them. But what they didn't take into account was global warming. So they built the drainage channels too close to sea level. And now sea levels are rising. They're more or less useless. If there's a lot of rain, the water can't run away and there's nowhere for it to go. The whole design was faulty. So you got it. A, there were not enough of them, no. B, unsuitable materials, no. C, they didn't allow for the effects of climate change. Synonym for allow for is they didn't take into account global warming. Synonym for climate change. Another of our key words in my vocabulary list. 24. What do Rob and Carla think that the authorities in Miami should do immediately? Now, I talk a lot about part three and how they use tenses or or time to trick you because the question is very often something like, what have they done or what did they do or what are they going to do or what haven't they done yet? What are they planning to do? Well, this one is what should happen immediately. Now, they might talk about the other solutions, but what should they do exactly now? The three choices are A, take measures to restore ecosystems. B, pay for a new flood prevention system. Or C, stop disposing of waste materials into the ocean. And here's what Carla says. Carla says, um, sorry, I've lost my place. (laughs) Uh, Right. What are the authorities doing about it now? She asks Rob. Rob says, I don't know. I read that they are aiming to stop disposing of waste water into the ocean over the next 10 years. Carla says, but that won't help with flood prevention now, will it? Rob says, no. Really, they just need to find the money for something to replace the drainage channels in order to protect against flooding now. But in the long term, they need to consider the whole ecosystem. Okay, so I'm sure you could hear all of those now and in the long term, over the next 10 years, very clearly. So the first option was take measures to restore ecosystem. No, that was in the long term. B, pay for a new flood prevention system. And yes, they need to find the money. That's the synonym for pay for, something to replace the drainage channels. So replace is a new drainage channels flood prevention system. And what about C, stop disposing of waste materials into the ocean? Uh, No, they said that would be stop disposing of waste water into the ocean over the next 10 years. So do go to my website. I've been spending quite a lot of time there making it easier to find stuff. So if you look section three tenses, then you'll see another example. It's the refurbishment of a theatre. 
where you have to choose the things that they have done and the things that they are going to do. And you choose from a list. It all depends on the tense. You can see them doing it here too. Finally, final multiple choice question is 25. What do they agree should be the priority for international action? Now, the question 25, the question what do they agree is usually really obvious because usually you've got somebody saying, mm, no, I don't think so, or yes, that's a great idea. Here it's not so obvious, unfortunately. So let's just look for what they think should be the priority for international action. A, greater coordination of activities. B, more sharing of information. Or C, agreement on shared policies. Now, I found this one tricky, so I'll, I'll do the whole thing and see what you think. Rob says, everyone knows what the problems are and environmentalists have a pretty good idea of what we should be doing about them. So they should be able to work together to some extent, but it's going to be a long time before countries come to a decision on what principles they're prepared to abide by. So, yeah, the priority, is it A, greater coordination of activities? Yes, that's what they said. They should be able to work together. That's greater coordination. B, more sharing of information. They didn't really mention information. They just said that everybody knows what the problems are and they know what they should be doing. And then finally, the agreement on shared policies. Rob says it's going to be a long time before they come to a decision on what principles, so principles, policies, they are prepared to abide by. Okay, so then you get your little pause and the next set of questions, questions 26 to 30, there are five parts of the presentation. So this is where they actually go into detail about what they're going to do in their presentation. And they decide something about each part. So the five parts are, first of all, the historical background. That would be normal to do the background. Then the geographical factors. Then past mistakes. Then future risks. And finally, international implications. So remember, they're just talking about how they're going to present this and deal with it as a presentation. The decisions are... A, use visuals. Well, of course, visuals start thinking about what that means. Usually means like PowerPoint, but that's a trademark, so they won't use that. They'll probably say something like slides or images or something like that. B is keep it short, so don't go on too much. C is involve other students in the presentation. D, check the information is accurate. E, provide a handout. F, focus on one example. And G, do online research. So you can imagine what that would involve online, looking at the internet, whatever. So the first one is the historical background. And these go in order. So you choose one decision for each part. And Carla says... Uh, no, Rob says, I suppose we'll begin with some general historical background about why coastal cities were established. But we don't want to spend too long on that. The other students will already know a bit about it. So the thing he said was we don't want to spend too long on that. So the answer is 26B, keep it short. 27, geographical factors. And Carla introduces this. She says we should mention some geographical factors, things like wetlands and river estuaries and coastal erosion and so on. We could have some maps of different cities with these features marked. Rob says, on a handout, you mean? 
or some slides everyone can see? And Carla says, yeah, that would be better. So you've got the choice between a handout or some slides. And she says slides would be better. So the slides are A, the, the visuals, not the trick E, which is a handout. 28 is all about past mistakes. Rob says it would be good to go into past mistakes in a bit more detail. Did you read that case study of the problems there were in New Orleans with flooding a few years ago? Carla says, yes, we could use that as the basis for that part of the talk. That's it. She says, we could use that as the basis for that part of the talk. So the answer is F, to focus on just one example, that example of New Orleans. 29 is about future risks. And uh, Carla says, so then we'll go on to talk about what actions being taken to deal with the problems of coastal cities. Rob says, what else do we need to talk about? Maybe something on future risks, looking more at the long term, if populations continue to grow. And Carla says, yes, we'll need to do a bit of work there. I haven't got much information. Have you? Rob says, no, we'll need to look at some websites. Shouldn't take too long. So there we have it. Look at some websites is do online research. Finally, question 30, international implications. Um, Carla says, I think we should end by talking about international implications. Maybe we could ask people in the audience. We've got people from quite a lot of different places. And Rob says that would be interesting. So that's it. Ask people in the audience would be C, involve other students. Okay, so that's it. That is the listening section three, all about cities built by the sea. Uh, I hope it helped. I'll do another one quite soon. I know I'm not doing these as regularly as I used to, but it's just because I'm spending time mainly on my website um, so that lots of these examples are there for you and working better. But also, of course, on the YouTube channel, that takes quite a lot of time, uh, making it easy for, for people to find things and linking everything together. So I'm focusing on that, um, but I do hope to do a few more of these more regularly. These are taken from the mock tests in the Members Academy, and um, I've promised my members that I'll have uh, all of these ready for them <laughs> as soon as possible. So thanks very much for listening today. Stay safe and speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Hi guys, this is Fiona from IELTS Exam Training Courses and Members Academy. Today we're looking at a listening part four and it's entirely gap fill, which is the most common type of question in a part four lecture. So there are lots of things that you can do to prepare yourself for this long, almost in uninterrupted uh, text. There are 10 gaps and the summary gives you headings that will correspond, of course, to the plan and shape of the lecture. So it's called the eucalyptus tree in Australia. And there are two main headings. First of all, the importance of the tree. And then the second one is the reasons for the decline in number. That then is divided into two main reasons, which is diseases and bushfires. So it's really important to get that overview because you will really quickly recognise the signals that they give you to tell you which part they're talking about and therefore which part you should listen to very carefully. Um, 
What else? So the other things to think about are making predictions about maybe what comes in the gap. So first of all, the importance, it provides something and food for a wide range of species. So you're thinking, okay, it must be a noun. It provides something and food for species. What else could a tree provide? And then the second gap says its leaves provide something which is used to make a disinfectant. So again, you're thinking about a substance that the tree produces, which could possibly be used to make this disinfectant. And so on. We'll go into the other gaps and predictions as we come to them. But I wanted to point out that structure because it's always mirrored in the plan of the lecture. So the lecturer starts by saying, today I'm going to talk about the eucalyptus tree. Oh, and by the way, this one has a very strong Australian accent. Not many of them do have Australian accents, but when they do, it's really good to practice uh, with this text. It is on YouTube. I've seen people um, with the full version on YouTube that you can find and listen to and get used to the Australian accent is really important. So he says, this is a very common tree here in Australia, where it's also sometimes called the gum tree. Now, remember how many other topics I've done related to this? especially related to Australia, there's the cowrie gum reading and there's the other, I'm sure it's the same chap who does the honeybee listening. He's Australian as well. I'm sure it's the same guy. So these are all related to particular plants and species in Australia. It's, it's a huge topic. He says, first, I'm going to talk about why it's important and then I'm going to describe some problems it faces at present. So there you go. He's outlined what we already saw in the gap fill summary. It's divided into those two parts, why the tree is important and then the problems. So the first thing we're listening for is what does it provide as well as food for a wide range of species. And he says, right, well, the eucalyptus tree is an important tree for lots of reasons. For example, it gives shelter to creatures like birds and bats. And these other species, these and other species also depend on it for food, particularly the nectar from its flowers. So it supports biodiversity. So there you have it. He says, for example, it gives shelter to creatures, blah, blah, blah. So the answer is shelter. I would also like to point out um, when I did my YouTube live lesson the other day, uh, somebody remembered from my podcast that I'd said how useful and important these texts are and how they can help you with your writing. Well, look at what the writer's doing here. First of all, he gives us the topic sentence and he says the tree is important for lots of reasons. Now, I always recommend that you write a topic sentence in your first main body paragraph and you say um, something like it has a num numerous there are numerous advantages to um, traveling by car, for example. So you outline what you're going to say next. Then he gives the nice example. For example, it gives shelter, he says, and other species depend on it for food. Then there's the point three, the so what point, I call it. The link back to the main topic, which was how important it is. And he says... So it supports biodiversity. So that's kind of like your first point in a paragraph. And then he says, it's useful to us humans too. So he introduces a new point. 
Now, remember my system for writing is point, example or explanation or evidence. And this is what he says. He says, it's useful to us humans too, because we can kill germs with a disinfectant made from oil extracted from eucalyptus leaves. And that gives us our answer. Its leaves provide something which is used to make a disinfectant. So what does it provide? And he says the disinfectant is made from oil extracted from eucalyptus leaves. So the answer is oil. Notice in a lot of these gap fill summaries, you often get some kind of substance. And we'll see more examples of this later in today's text. So that's it in terms of the importance. Then he gives you a little thinking time and he starts to introduce the reasons for the decline in number. He says the eucalyptus grows all over Australia and the trees can live for up to 400 years. So it's alarming that all across the country Numbers of eucalyptus are falling because the trees are dying off prematurely. So, what are the reasons for this? Notice his signal. This is called a rhetorical question because he's going to answer his own question. But for you, it's really important to Notice that signal. When he asks this question, it's a signal that he's going to go on to the next point very clearly. Also, notice the use of alarming. I think it's a really useful word. Um, the other day in the YouTube live, we had somebody say it's scary in a task two essay. And I suggested instead of saying scary which is quite informal and quite emotional, you could use something like it's alarming or worrying. Very useful task too when you want to describe, you know, problems that are happening. Or you could say there's been an alarming increase in the number of people dying from cancer, something like that. So alarming means worrying significant and scary, I guess. So, well, we've gone to the part of the summary where the heading is diseases and that's divided into two types of diseases. Number one is called mandala yellows. You don't need to know what that means. And the second one is called bell minor associated dieback. You don't know, you don't need to know what they mean. Because these words are in inverted commas. That's often a sign from IELTS that it's a name that you don't need to worry about because they will explain it to you. So he does explain it. He says the cause and the cause is the cause of this disease is lime, which was used for making something and this was absorbed into the tree. So we have to find out where this lime, now lime is not the citrus fruit lime, it's, I don't know what it is, it's a kind of substance they use for building. I only know about it because my sister uh, specialises in historical buildings where they used lime to uh, make the mortar between the bricks, I think. Anyway, what did they use this lime for? Let's listen. As far back as the 1970s, the trees started getting a disease called mandala yellows. Even the fact that he says called mandala yellows tells you it's a word and nobody knows it anyway. The trees leaves would gradually turn yellow. Then the tree would die. It wasn't until 2004 that they found the cause of the problem was lime, 
or calcium hydroxide to give it its proper chemical name, which was being used in the construction of roads. So that's the answer. They were building roads. Notice it's plural and notice the very common IELTS word I often mention, which is construction. The whole topic of building and roads is a key IELTS topic. And that is our answer for 33. And it then explains that the trees were unable to take in necessary iron through their roots. That's on the question paper. And the speaker explains the lime was being washed away into the ground and affecting the roots of the eucalyptus trees nearby. What it was doing was preventing the trees from sucking up the iron they needed for healthy growth. When this was injected back into the affected trees, they immediately recovered. You don't need any of that. That's already in the text. But keep an eye on it so you don't lose your place. The next disease is called Bell Minor Associated dieback. You don't need to know what this is. They will explain. What are we listening for? Well, the cause. So the first gap is 34. Something feed on eucalyptus leaves. That's it. That's all you need to know. Something feed, what feeds on these leaves. Um, very interesting, actually, that this Actual gap also comes up in the honeybee listening, which is on my website, definitely. So you can see they choose certain things again and again. So he explains this disease. He says, um, this problem only affected a relatively small number of trees. By 2000, huge numbers of eucalyptus were dying along Australia's east coast of a disease known as Bell Minor Associated Dieback. Again, the fact that he says known as tells you it's the inverted commas, like before he said called. Now, it might not be so important in the listening, but in the reading, this known as or called or referred to as is absolutely essential for your understanding. And I think it comes up in the next reading. So I'll talk about it then. The one about nutmeg I'm going to do next. OK, so we're looking for what feeds on the leaves. He says the bell miner is a bird. And the disease seems to be common where there are high populations of bell miners. Again, it's the leaves of the tree that are affected. What happens is, notice the emphasis, introduction, telling you the answers coming. What happens is that insects settle on the leaves and eat their way around them, destroying them as they go. And at the same time, they secrete a solution which has sugar in it. OK, so we were listening for an animal which eats the leaves and that was it. He says what happens is that insects. So I guess it's guessable, isn't it? Um, and in the bee, the honeybee listening, it was something about what the what the birds will eat and they will eat anything as long as they're insects. Um, yeah, I've done that text so many times now I can remember it off by heart. <laughs> then there are two more bullet points which explains that these leaves secrete a substance containing sugar and that the bell minor birds are attracted by this and keep away other species. And the speaker talks about that. You don't need to listen because there's no gap. He simply says the bell minor birds 
really like this solution, this sugar solution. And in order to get as much as possible, they keep away other creatures that might try to get it. So these birds and insects flourish, key IELTS word, flourish, thrive at the expense of other species. And eventually so much damage is done to the leaves that the tree dies. Now there's the little pause, the slight pause, where he goes on to the second reason, which is bush fires. Now this part is really interesting, I think, especially given uh, the recent fires in Australia. And it also talks about the indigenous people and how important they are. And again, how often they talk about this in IELTS. So for bushfires, he says that there's a theory by William Jackson. And there are three bullet points. The first one says high frequency bushfires have impact on vegetation, resulting in the growth of something. So obviously, when there's a bushfire, you know, it's a natural phenomenon in Australia. God, I'm sounding like Trump now, as if I know what I'm talking about. But I have seen a documentary that bushfires are natural and they are necessary to kind of keep the, the grass down, I guess. And it's a natural process. It's just when they get excessive that they cause a problem. So we're listening for what grows after the fire. The speaker says, but experts say that trees can start looking sick before any sign of bell minor associated dieback. So it looks as if the problem might have another explanation. One possibility is that it's to do with the huge bush fires that we have in Australia. A theory proposed over 40 years ago by ecologist William Jackson is that the frequency of bushfires in a particular region affects the type of vegetation that grows there. If there are very frequent bushfires in a region, this encourages grass to grow afterwards. While if the bushfires are rather less frequent, this results in the growth of eucalyptus forests. So the, the sentence says that if there are frequent fires, it encourages grass to grow. If they are less frequent, it encourages the forests, eucalyptus forests to grow. We wanted the high frequency bushfires, it says here, have impact on vegetation resulting in the growth of, and the answer is grass. So the very frequent, the high frequency bushfires result in the growth of grass. He explains this in a moment. Before he explains it, let's look at the next bullet point. The next bullet point says mid frequency bushfires result in the growth of eucalyptus forests because they make more something available to the trees and they maintain the quality of the something. So we're listening for what is more available to the trees and what quality improves. He asks the question, the speaker says, so why is this? And the key word in the summary was because, so we know we're in the right place. Why do fairly frequent bushfires actually support the growth of eucalyptus? Well, one reason is that the fire stops the growth of other species, which would consume water needed by eucalyptus trees. So if there were other species growing, they would consume water. And therefore, 36, the answer is water, because 
when you burn the other growth, then it makes more water available to the eucalyptus trees. That's 36. Now, 37 is the other reason. And he tells us that. He says, and there's another reason. If these other quick-growing species of bushes and plants are allowed to proliferate, they harm the eucalyptus in another way by affecting the composition of the soil and removing nutrients from it. That's it. So we wanted a space, maintain the quality of the something. Now, you have to think in reverse. It says that if you grow these plants, it affects the soil by removing the nutrients from it. So if we have frequent fires, this maintains the quality of the soil because there are no other plants to take away the nutrients. So the answer for 37 is soil. He says, so some bushfires are actually essential for the eucalyptus to survive as long as they are not too frequent. In fact, there's evidence that Australia's indigenous people practised regular burning of bushland for thousands of years before the arrival of the Europeans. Now, the third bullet is the problem with low-frequency bushfires, if you don't have bushfires. And it says this results in the growth of something rainforest. And it's in inverted commas. So we know that they're going to tell us that it's a type of rainforest and it has a name. So we're listening for those words that I just mentioned before, like called or known as. Ah, this is where I saw it. Sorry, not in next week's. It's here. It's actually in the listening. These clues when he says known as, but it's the same for reading. So what does he say? He says, since Europeans arrived on the continent, the number of bushfires has been strictly controlled. Now, scientists believe that this reduced frequency of bushfires to low levels has led to what is known as dry rainforest. So we were looking for a gap, a type of rainforest, and they've told us very clearly what is known as dry rainforest. So dry is the answer. As he says, which seems an odd name, as usually we associate tropical rainforest with wet conditions. Okay, he dis the, in the summary, he gives us two points, a dry rainforest, which is A, uh, sorry, <laughs> 39, a something ecosystem. So we'll need an adjective to describe ecosystem. And 40, an ideal environment for the something of the bell miner. So we already know that the bell miner is a bird. Now, what other thing can you associate with birds when they need the ideal environment? Again, it's come up another in another listening, possibly the honeybee one, I can't remember. Um, so the first one is a type of ecosystem. What does he say? He says, and what's special about this type of rainforest? So he asks that question because he will introduce the answer. Well, unlike tropical rainforest, which is a rich ecosystem, this type of ecosystem is usually a simple one. That is your answer, a simple one. It has very thick, dense vegetation, but not much variety of species. 
The vegetation provides lots of shade. So one species that does find it ideal is the bell miner bird, which builds its nests in the undergrowth there. That's it. What does it build? What is it an ideal environment for? Answer is the nests of the bell miner. And by the way, there the S is optional. If you hear it, I would put it, the speaker says nests, plural. But it's not grammatically wrong if you say for the nest of the bell miner. So they will accept that. They also, by the way, for 35, accept grasses, plural, instead of just grass for 35. Um, but usually, well, 33 is roads, plural. 34 is insects, plural. And the other things, nouns, are uncountable. So 36 is water, 37 is soil, and 32 is oil. So another very typical set of answers where you've got a mix of countable nouns with S and the uncountable substances, oil, water and soil. Uh, very, very predictable. And the more of these that you do, the more that you'll notice them and the more you'll be ready to answer them. The spellings aren't difficult, very simple spellings here. So I guess the difficulty is the text was quite dense and quite a heavy Australian accent if you're not used to that. But otherwise, lot of answers which are guessable and predictable, I hope. OK, thanks for listening. Thanks very much, guys, for listening. I'm not allowed to put these on my website, unfortunately, but you can Google um, its book 15. I googled it on YouTube and I found it straight away. <laughs> the eucalyptus tree in Australia. You'll get the practice and the answers, but hopefully the benefit of my podcast is that you also hear the explanations and learn something from the vocabulary and the tips and the strategies. So do let me know if you've got any requests. Um, I will see you with the next one, which is going to be a reading all about nutmeg. So speak to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye bye.